You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. challenging, but this is one that really catches people off guard because we have had so many years, generations of building a perception that what this teaching actually does is coming against hundreds of years of, of biblical and church teaching. Because even, even that thought that heaven is not our final resting place, it's like, you know, it almost makes you want to cross your arms and say, you, you, you cannot be telling the truth. So again, I would, I would tell you that the long study about this is still on our webpage. You can, I don't know how many weeks it took me to actually teach through this, but uh, it is on our list and and when I was preparing for tonight, it was like I, I just couldn't move away from this one for some reason. Uh, I want us to go to Genesis chapter 1. What we're going to do tonight is basically look at the bookends. From Genesis to Revelation. Because in Genesis, we get to see as it, as it starts in, in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens, I'm sorry, the heaven and the earth. So we get to look at a heaven and an earth that was designed specifically with a clear intent. As as Andrea said, it's very clear. You know, the reason that, that we can be okay is because God has a plan. That was, that's what she said when I asked her. She said, well, God has a plan. Well, I can tell you what we're reading here is that a plan that, that originated in the mind and the heart of God to design a place that would match us. Now, we have, we have to lock down on that thought. How strange it would have been for him to create an earth that was solid water for people who had no fins. That was like, what a, what a strange disconnect that would be. So we get to read in Genesis about the creation of a place that was designed with, with the thought as he built it that, that the ultimate creation would be us, the, the crown of creation would be a man created the image of God. And that somehow the earth and the heaven had to match the man that he was about to create. 
because we would expect this master architect, this person who was going to design this, to make it a great match. Every one of us, if we were designing a home, would put in that home the elements of us. Our preferences, our likes, the things that, that, that were workable, functional, design, colors, all the kind of things that would match us. So why, even with my limited ability to do that, would I not also believe that God in his design of this heaven and earth that is mentioned here would not be designed for humanity, the crown of creation. No disconnect. And we get to read it in Genesis 1 before sin. So we get a real good early snapshot of heaven in this design. God creating a place that would fit us. So let's just look at, I'm not going to read much of this. Uh, let's see where I, where I want to start. Let's just look at the portion after the creation of man. So let's just begin with verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So what's one of the aspects of this creation that we recognize from this verse? We have dominion, but dominion over what? Here, animal, everything, okay? So we keep going. It says, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So, once again, the be fruitful and multiply implies what? That we're going to have a responsibility on this, in this creation. That there's going to be work connected to this creation. And this work isn't punishment. This isn't the work of, of Genesis 3 after they have eaten of the fruit where they would work by the sweat of their brow. And that this, this, but this work we get to see was in the original design of how man should interact with this creation. So one of the more odd things that we're going to discover is that when we, when we discover what the true resting place of man is, we're still going to work. That seems very odd compared to the teaching. That, But what we get to read here is that work wasn't a curse. It was a blessing of an earth that God had designed for us. So to, to think that where we end up, there would be no work. It's like, is this not a good snapshot? I asked this question to y'all, uh, you know, as I was teaching this. You know, I think I use Shorty's example. If I told Shorty, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you and bring you a brand new car. Keyword new. 
Would he still expect it to have four wheels? Would he still expect it to have seats and a steering wheel and a hood and an engine? Yeah, because new doesn't necessarily mean that it is completely different than the one that's not new. That there's going to be aspects of this one that we're going to see in the new one. So when we begin to look at certain things here in Genesis 1, we get to at least begin to connect with the possibility of where we finally end up is going to have some of these attributes. Some of these same things are going to be present in, in where we finally end up. So we, we continue. And God said in verse 29, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a, of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for me. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and everything that creeps upon the earth wherein there is life I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. All right. Here's, we're, we're flipping through a photo album of, of this creation, what he's just described here, the forming of the earth, light, dark, separation, water and land, and all that he's done with an understanding that the, the man that he's about to make, the mankind he's about to make is going to have two legs. It's going to have two arms. It's going to have a brain to think with. Why did he make these hands? For like, to work. I mean, I could I could stand there like this and look at that apple on that tree. Like, hmm. Be nice if I had something to reach up there and get that apple. So even the very, the very design of this hand and this arm and the mobility of it was so that I could actually function on that earth that he created. Beautiful, beautiful pictures of these snapshots of watching this creative process. You know, you've, it, it, you know when, when I used to build a lot, Jan was the building photographer. And she would watch the process, watch the progress as the process went on. It's fun to go back and look at some of those things. And, you know, we moved our house in. Uh, if somebody thinks about doing that, stomp on their foot, do something and stop them. Uh, never worked so hard in all my life when, the, when we moved that house from Brownfield and uh, set it down there and people were just, you could see them drive by and they're just shaking their heads like, what has he done? And it was okay, though, because we were usually in rhythm because I'm sitting there shaking my head. Tiz came by and said, Randy, we need to do some work today because there's certain parts of this that's about to fall if we don't do something today. So we got, we got busy, and he helped me. And, and you know, we're, that was in uh, 1978, and... I think within two or three weeks I'll have this thing wrapped up. We'll get that project done. But uh, we're getting close. So Jay's, Jay's 40 and we started in, uh, 
in May before he was born in October working on that house. So we're, we're, about, we're about to wrap it up. As most remodeling projects go, what a snapshot. What a, a, a look. We get to, again, from an architect, we get to roll out these plans and say, man, that fits me. And through chapter one, we get to watch it build. This amazing place that he built with us in mind. Keep, keep that in your head. He built it with us in mind. Now then, so what about, what about the heaven we talk about now? Throughout this study, one of the most amazing things that I came to, and I don't ask people to agree with me on this, that there's, for every answer I have, I could stir up another dozen questions. But I do know that one of the concepts is that we live our life, you know, on this passing line from birth to death. And then we get this idea that, that heaven, this intermediate heaven that we go to, is a long way away. Sharp change. And then, and then we live in that heaven. One of the things I realized in this study, and because there was so much more about heaven in the scripture than I thought, that I really began to realize that that intermediate heaven isn't this big jump and far away. I really began to understand that that heaven may be far closer and actually it overlaps and it's very intimate with, with us who haven't gone there yet. You know, and, I, and I've shared some weird things in that teaching. You know, I, I, I hear stories, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a repository. I'm, I'm kind of an easy target for these kind of stories. But how many people have stories where they've had encounters of, 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 strange, of strange proportions with when they knew that the person with whom they had just had the encounter had passed away? Seeing things, aware of a presence, and is aware of a person, and it just it begins to help you realize when you have these accounts of, uh, and again, you get to you get to choose what you're going to do with them. Uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, uh, but uh, Jennifer Garner's plays in it. I can't remember who the Miracles from Heaven, yeah, where a little girl has this very, that sounds like God, didn't it? Miracles from Heaven, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, God had close attention, so. But in that movie, this girl's got this very strange disease, her stomach's distended all the time, and, you know, and very painful. They take her to Boston for, for treatment, and basically the answer is, there is no hope. There's nothing we can do. We don't have a cure. We don't have much of a help. And so she's home. Uh, this is here in Texas, uh, near Dallas, I think. And she, she, she and her sister have climbed up this tree, and she ends up falling down through in the middle of this dead tree. It's hollow. Mm -hmm. 
And so it, it takes hours for the rescue. But after she gets out of the hospital, they begin to notice that she's playing and that she asks for a pair of jeans that she has hasn't been able to wear because of the nature of the disease and, and they fit and and they realize that something dynamic has changed because she's playing normally again and, and, and that this fall has somehow strangely cured her. They take her back to Boston and it's like it's just unbelievable result. And they don't know what to they don't know Kind of, I think they call it like instead of a miracle, it's like instantaneous remission or something. That they're, they're, they're calling this. But when they get back to their home, she says, Well, they told me I'd be all right. She said, This butterfly was in this tree with her. And she begins to describe this journey she took to a place that had trees, to a place that had water, to a place that was peaceful. She said she wasn't afraid. And you begin to realize that she's describing many attributes, not of the heaven we've typically seen, of clouds and harps and, and that picture, but she's, she's describing something in this place where she went that has many attributes of earth. Okay, we jump to the we jump to the story of uh, God is for real. On, was on TV a couple of weeks ago about uh, Colton and his encounter. He, he didn't even die; it was not even a, a death experience. But when he begins as a, as a four year old boy to tell of what happened to him when Jesus held him. And he speaks of Jesus' horse. And of course, I don't know the name of the, Greg Kinnear's the father, I can't think of who plays the mother, but she's very skeptical until this little boy says, did you know I had a sister? And, and she says, yeah, of course I know you have a sister. Did you, did you not know? And he, she points to her sister sitting in the kitchen. He said, no, I have two sisters. And he said, when I was in heaven, this little girl came up to me and just kept hugging me and said she looked like my sister, but she had hair like you did, like, like my mom does. And I asked her her name, and she said she didn't ha have one because y'all didn't name her. And now the mom knows. He saw Greg Kinnear's, the, the man he plays, the pastor that he plays, grandfather. So again, I don't know what to tell you about those, but I do know that the description that he gave of where he went and what God showed him had the attributes and characteristics of this earth. It's beautiful, he talks about, and he, and he talks about the people that he saw and the, and the things that he, where he went. At the very end of the movie, he is standing on the back porch and Greg Kinnear is looking at the computer at this woman, this girl halfway around the world that had this encounter. And if you go back into our lobby and look at that picture that's hanging there, that was the picture that, that she painted because she also saw Jesus. And when Colton at four years old said, saw that picture, he said, yeah, that's him. Because Greg Kinnear kept showing his pictures of, of how Jesus is typically portrayed. 
And when he sees it, he said, that's him, that's, that's Jesus. So when we begin to recognize that we have at least a glimpse, you know, Lynn Cain had read the book 90 Minutes in Heaven about this man that was killed in this terrible car accident so severely that body parts left the car and ended up in the river. And he's in this car and this pastor who had been in the same conference as this pastor who had been injured was dead. He tells his wife, I want to walk up and see what happened. So he gets up there and he asks about that car is covered up in a tarp. And the, the police officer says, you don't want to go over there. He says, you do not want to see that. He says, well, I was in the military. I was a medic. I'll be fine. So he can't get in the car except to go through like the trunk. But he gets in there, but he gets in there only far enough that he can reach this body and touch it. And he begins to pray. And in his story, he says, he, be, he begins to sing because he doesn't know what else to pray. He said, in just a few minutes, somebody starts singing with him in the car. Well, the guy that was dead spent 90 minutes in heaven. And he speaks of heaven in terms that we would express here on earth. Who he saw, that he thought it was very strange that the first person that, he, that greeted him was his grandfather. He said they hadn't been particularly close. But we, we now have an opportunity to completely dismiss them or to let them be somewhat of a, at least the builder of a perspective about this current heaven. You know, I, I talked to Bubba out at his house just a few days before he passed away. And he was telling me that the impact, that the story of, of Colton, that, that God is for him, had had on him. And, and how that, I, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty. I know what he said. I, I also think I know what he was implying. But I'm, So I, I want you to know I'm taking a little bit of liberty here with his story. Because it's the same way I feel. It's very difficult for most of us to get excited about heaven when we think of clouds and harps and long church services. You know, lots of preaching. You know, you know. I, I think it was Will Rogers that tells the story of, of being given this harp and he's going to this cloud that he was assigned to and here these, these guys are coming back and the harps are just laying everywhere, you know, instruments. It's like, got sick of that real fast. But, but we don't, when we're left with that image of heaven, it's like when we get to see that it's going to be a place that is also designed for us, that allows me to still use these legs, perfect, with a perfect body, to use these hands perfectly strong, doesn't it still seem reasonable that this intermediate heaven that we go to would still match us. Because wouldn't it be odd for God 
to, to create a place for his creation, even there that didn't match us. Now, yeah, I guess he could completely transform us into something that really enjoyed clouds. Really enjoyed long church services. What denomination would we be if we enjoyed long church services? Oh, yeah, it would have to be something like that, you know, because... Yeah. <laughs> I had to learn to move and, yeah. I think I shared with you when I talked this, I love the movie Field of Dreams. It's just a feel-good movie. Like it, like it, the way it unfolds, like the way it ends. But I love when when uh, his dad asked him, "Is this heaven?" He said, "No, it's Iowa." He said, "I thought for sure it was heaven." Well, again, we dismiss that as a fictional story, and it's like doesn't mean anything. But when I began to have a Made a, a new maybe, a, a new perspective, that didn't seem unreasonable or illogical anymore, completely like it had first of all. Because wouldn't it be interesting if a creative God could establish something not only that fits me generically, fits me perfectly, You see, he has that kind of potential because I get to look across this group and realize we all look alike. We know that he has the creative potential to make something unique every time he makes us. What? Could he have the creative potential to establish a place that fits us? See, that doesn't become far-fetched anymore. It's not illogical, it's not unreasonable anymore for heaven to not be generic. That heaven also be, because he has a will for me that's different from the will that he has for Elaine. Again, I know part of that's generic, but he had a specific design for you and, and he, he, he can amazingly do it. So why now? Do we have to make, because again, I love the picture, you know, as I shared with you recently, that religion wants uniformity. It wants, every, if I created a pie chart and I, and I put a hundred pieces in that pie chart, religion says, I want every piece to look alike. I want every piece to attend church. I want every piece to have a, have a quiet time. I want every piece to read their Bible every day. I want every piece to, to tithe. Make every piece look exactly alike. Uniformity. Around the circle. Make us all good church members. Make us all good. Because we look just alike. Relationship. Says, says he wants wisdom. To stand next to encouragement. To stand next to father. To friend. So that when we, when we look at this, 
we stand back and say, man, look at the diversity. How, how, un, you know, how unruly that group must be. How, how do they ever get along? They're, I mean, every one of them different. Every one of them unique. Like, yeah, but, but you, you missed the glue that's holding all those pieces together. Because when I feel that one with the Spirit of God, and I feel that one with the Spirit of God, and I feel that one with the Spirit of God, then the uniqueness creates a body that looks like Him. That's, that's not uniform. That's unity. That's what He wants. So it, it, it drives in the Spirit. But when I look at the fact that He's made each one of us to put on display some part of His body so that when He fits us together by the Spirit, so that we can hear one voice, so we can move together, understand together, love together, because we have one Spirit... If, but he's designed us with all of this diversity, then I don't have to necessarily believe that heaven becomes this homogeneous looking creation that we all now with on these unusual pegs now get forced into this standard size hole. So at least I can imagine that, that, that the heaven we go to now based on these stories, based on these testimonies, may not be this drifting cloud, soft music, floating along place. So there's a maybe there. Let's go to Revelation 21. It is often, again, this is, this is somewhat of a surprise for, for most of us, and it's still, I still have this conversation with folks from time to time, and, and I, get, I get some that say, wow, I never saw that before, and from some I get real strong pushback, and it's okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking everybody to just agree with this, but it's, but it's, it brought great clarity to me, and it, brought, it actually brought great comfort because I, I shared in this, when I was teaching this before in this long series, that most people would say between the heaven I've been told about, the clouds, harps, long church services, lots of prayer time, no, that can't work because I'm in the presence or hanging out with their family in the backyard, they would choose hanging out with their family in the backyard. It's like, I would much rather heaven be something like that. If, if I had a choice, I'd, I'd rather have something that fit me. Chapter 21, Revelation. Now, think again to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The heaven and the earth. So now, we, now we're in, in chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now what should our expectation be? Mr. Hensley, I'm going to deliver you a new car. It's 
Going to have tires? Yeah, they probably would. Seats? Yep. So, I saw a new heaven. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Is that new going to be something that is absolutely, completely different with no semblance of the former one? Not even realistic. Sure. He didn't come up with new names. He didn't say, and I saw something else and something else. He used exactly the same words from Genesis chapter 1. So I don't think it should surprise us that where we finally end up in this new heaven and this new earth has many things about it that look like the old one. Why? Because what is it? Where do we end up? On earth. Again, that should not surprise us because for whom was this place made? Us. It was made for us. So we begin to read. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. So what's the first clue that there's something in the new one that looks like the old one? There was a city. Again, if you're going to talk to me about cities, I'm thinking earth. So that we, first glimpse, New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her bridegroom. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So, if I were to be looking through the first photo album, what would I see in those pictures hanging out with Adam and Eve? I'd see God. He was there, dwelling with man in, the, in that first picture. What do we see here? God dwelling with his people. We got a great first snapshot, and now we're seeing something brand new, but it is still earth. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain for the water of life freely. And he that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burned with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show you the, the bride, the Lamb's wife. He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, 
the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God in her light was like unto a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall. So he's looking at this new, at this new Jerusalem, and it has a wall. Again, when I think wall, I'm not thinking of an unusual heaven. What does it make me think of? It makes me think of earth. Tires, doors, hood, seats, steering wheel, all things familiar. And had 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the, tw on the tw west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lies four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height are, of it are equal. He measured the wall thereof. 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of man, that is, of angels. And the building of the wall, as if it were of jasper, the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation, jasper, the second sapphire, the third, uh, whatever that word is, the fourth, an emerald. The fifth, sardonyx, the, the sixth, sardius, the seventh. And those are great words that... I'm not, so I'm going to verse 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold, and it was transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are, are the temple of it. The city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did light it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So we're beginning to recognize something there. That what's also going to be present in this new earth? Kings. And they're going to bring glory through those gates. See, these are terms in this place where we end up on this, this new heaven, this new earth, these are terms that begin to tell us of something that is far more understandable to us than what we would have ever imagined this heaven that we don't know anything about actually was, but we'll begin to recognize. Because I want us to get, I, this, is, this is a real critical point. What would be the chance that God would let this, this earth become barren and go to a graveyard. Not a chance. Wouldn't that seem odd that he created something that he just eventually throws away? This is a new heaven, a new earth. And this earth becomes a crowning evidence of the fact that he now also has created a new heaven, a new earth that still fits us. I don't, I've never had a concept that in, at, at some point in, in, in my future, I would be able to fly. 
I've never had that thought. When he says I get a new body, I've never considered it to be one that included fins so I could swim like a fish or wings that I could fly like a bird. He's still speaking here as, as he says it, if I'm not mistaken, and the city had no need, verse 24, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, but shall do what? Walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of, of it shall not be shut at all by day, but there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So th there are nations in this new heaven, in this new earth. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but that which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. So there's a river. Clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God of the Lamb in the midst of the street, there's a street. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life. And there shall be no more curse, verse 3. And they shall see his face, and there shall be no night. And so we, we, we get this very full picture of a new heaven and a new earth. And step back in a little bit of amazement, I do anyway, at the possibility that what I got to read in Genesis prior to the fall has a uniqueness about this because in both stories what would I treasure the most? It wouldn't be the river. It wouldn't be the nations. It wouldn't be the wall. What would it be? What would I treasure the most in both stories? I am in his presence. And I, I like the fact that, you know, God could dwell anywhere. But what does it say here in Revelation 21? What was it, what's his choice? To come dwell with his people. Is, is that not a little in reverse to what we've taught? Because what have we taught? We go to where? We go to dwell with him. He's saying, well, no, he comes to dwell with us in a place designed for us. See, unique to me, because again, this is what kind of changes his perspective, because we're on this earth today, and we have this concept that death takes us to this heaven far away, where we live, only to find in Revelation 21, we come back to the earth, new heaven, new earth, where we live, so it's, did we really go that far away? Was the intermediate heaven not really more of a progression between this one, the intermediate heaven, the new heaven and the new earth? At least it's possible. It creates for me a huge perhaps. Because this heaven required a sun and a moon. This heaven 
No, no the old one, this one that we're in today, requires a sun and a moon. According to the scripture, as far as what will happen when Jesus returns, is that heaven and earth will be together again as it was originally. Yeah, because I think I, I think it was one until until the until the fall. I think there was a separation at that point because it was sin that separated us, and when sin is, and when sin is dealt with, finally, that there's no reason for for heaven and earth not to be as it was originally. But but when we think of it today. I'm breathing of heaven. I'm standing on the earth, but the, the breath is coming to me from, from heaven. I'm living in the interface right now, feet firmly on one, fully engaging heaven in the atmosphere, because that's, that's what that word heaven means. I'm fully engaging in the atmosphere right now because... I, I can't live without either part of it. So I, I, I can see there in the new heaven and the new earth that I'm still going to need an atmosphere around me that's going to provide me the air to breathe. It would just not require the sun and the moon. Unless he creates me of something else that doesn't require oxygen. And I guess he, he certainly could. But my suspicion is because he says new heaven and new earth is like did that other one that he created prior to sin, did it require oxygen for man to live? Yes. I can certainly see that being an attribute of the new heaven and the new earth where, where that's still required. Standing firmly on this earth but also participating every day. Because we keep thinking of heaven as this stuff out here. No, heaven starts right there. And I'm, I'm participating in it fully. When you think of heaven in the terms of atmosphere, yes. When you think of it in terms of a place where we go, no. That access is only made available by the spirit that lives in me. It's the spirit that is the connection between, that closes the gap. So when, when sin is dealt with in me and I can receive the Holy Spirit... That spirit is what allows me to have this connection between me and God. So, no, an unbeliever doesn't. Again, if you if you want to know more, if you didn't hear the first time I talked this, the long the long series is still on our website, and you can listen for however many hours that that actually took. Uh, but. The study just really opened my eyes to possibilities of, of things I had never even considered because the typical teaching is we don't know much about heaven. You begin to study it, we know a lot. We get to see unbelievable glimpses from, from one bookend of creation of Genesis to the creation of a new heaven and a new earth at the end of Revelation. We, get to, we, we have been given tremendous mass of information about what heaven is really like. Because so much of it is found in the heart of our Father. 
Why would a loving father, even for even me, when my kids were little, why would I create something for them that would not fit them? The heart of the father says what I do with my, with my children is designed to be at their age level and their ability and their capability because, because I'm always going to be recognizing as a father that my responsibility is to do things that fit them. If I have that as a father, where did I get it? Yeah, I got it from him. Because he too, again, I've used this illustration many times about if, if I were to ask you to go get the book at your house that told what, what uh, Rocky and Scott had done wrong all their life, where you'd written all that stuff down, what would, what would your answer be? No such book. Because we never were really fascinated with what they did wrong. Turned into good stories sitting around at the dinner table when they get older. But we never were really fascinated with it because what we were busy doing was recognizing what they needed next. That's our, that, that was our nature, to always be looking. What do they need next? And what, what clothes? What shoes? What school supplies? What food? What challenge? What encouragement? What blessing? What gift? What do they need next? That was the heart of who we are as parents. Where did we get that? God from him. We think he's keeping a long record of the, of the stuff we did wrong. Nope. 1 Corinthians 13, what does it say? Love keeps no record. Because what's he doing? Always providing what we need next, even when we don't know that he knows, even when it doesn't feel like it's what we need next. That shouldn't surprise us that a father would, would do that for his children because we've done it ourselves for so long and we got it from him. Again, this teaching is one that, uh, as I share many times, I give a very wide berth to a lot of disagreements. This, these are conceptually challenging and and somebody may say, nope, I'm, I, I know what I believe. I know what God showed me. I'm sticking with that. I'm tickled to death that that's, that that's what somebody chooses to do. I would not challenge it or tell somebody they were wrong. But when, when, I, when I opened this window to look, there were so many things in me that shifted. So many at least possibilities that were created. Clarity that was given. And I loved it because I loved the thought that on this new heaven and this new earth, I'm going to still work. I'm still going to have a purpose. I'm still going to be able to accomplish. I'm still going to have goals because, see, that was part of the goodness. That wasn't part of the awfulness. That was part of, does, does, does mankind today need challenge? Sure he does. Sure she does. Why would that not be a part of what, he, of what he's still formed for us? That sense of accomplishment, was that God-given? Sure it was. 
Would it still be? I think so. I like the description of where we end up according to Revelation 21 on a new heaven and a new earth that has many similarities to this one because that one was designed for me. This one was designed for me. I believe that one will be as well. It will not be boring. Yeah. Yeah. I won't, I won't be wondering, where did I lay down that instrument? Where? where? Yeah, yeah. I'll be looking for my hammer. Yeah. I may just drive nails in with my hand. Yeah. It wouldn't be nice to hit that, hit that nail every, every time. Yeah. Wow. And driving that nail reminds me of reminds me of that Dennis the Menace movie. Yeah. Where? Who's holding the nail? Margaret is holding the nail while Dennis hits it. Yeah, he, he's rearing back like this and, and hitting, his, hitting it just as hard as he can. And she's holding the nail. So in heaven, anybody can hold the nail because I'm not going to miss. Lord, we thank you tonight that you have uh, you bring us into unusual unusual things. Somewhat, Lord, I just love the fact that it's fascinating that of all the things I can't fully grasp, you give me so many that I can. And I thank you for that. That the mystery, will, will the fascination, I believe even when we get there, will never be lost. That we will be people of discovery. We will be people who are still wowed and fascinated by the new heaven and the new earth. Lord, thank you for just the snapshot that you give us that we get to look through this book and see a beginning and see a, a, an ending story. No sin, no pain, no death. We thank you for it, Lord, because we can look forward, anticipating not only where we get to go now, but that, that day when you return, after we've reigned with you, and a new heaven and a new earth descend, Lord, that we will actually be able to just be once again fascinated with, with you and this creation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.